1: And welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and on today's show, we have our interview with Stefan Leozou. Hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm great, Ed. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Look, I'm doubly excited. First of all, we have Stefan on, and I've just been been really jazzed to talk to him since we announced that we were going to have him. He's just such an expert on value-based pricing, which is is something that we're uh, so in it, well into, obviously, but also value selling, which is something that we've done a couple of shows on. So I'm anxious to talk to him about that aspect of it. But before we do, I, I've got an, a special announcement for our our listeners, and that is, um, you know, Ron, we've had some complaints. You know that about the show.
2: Yeah, they, yep. they don't.
1: They don't want to hear Greg Kite anymore. They don't want to hear <laughs> Greg Kite's commercials.
2: I don't blame them.
1: Well, you know, and, and but this is the weird thing. It's like, and we, you know, we love Voice America. We love them, but you know, the way that this works is it's commercial-based radio. So you know, you, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Tons right? That's a That's libertarian right. saying. So, so the deal is though, is that we are we have put together a Patreon site. For all of you listeners out there who want to listen commercial free, which you can now do, except it's going to be seven bucks a month if you want to listen commercial free. So there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. You're going to have to pony up seven bucks. Actually, if you're among the first 10 subscribers, we do have a promotional price out there. See, we're learning. Ah, uh, promotional price. The first ten subscribers get it for five bucks a month, but then after that, it's seven dollars for the after the first ten subscribe. So, if you're so interested and you're hearing this, I would get to uh, Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash t s o e, and be among the first to be able to subscribe to the commercial-free edition of the Soul of Enterprise. Now, that having been said, so Stefan, how did how did we do on our pricing? Did we do pretty good? Did we? Uh,
3: Well, yeah, Uh, did you test it on uh, doing A-B testing or some kind of research? (laughs) Yep.
1: That's what we're doing. This is effectively this is effectively the research. Well, let me right. bring bring him on. Um, Stefan Liazu is the chief value officer at Thales, where he supports and leads Thales' marketing and digital transformations. He's written several articles on strategic pricing for the Journal of Professional Pricing and is a regular presenter at the Professional Pricing Society conferences that where both Ron and I have also spoken at, and uh, in in Europe and North America and as well as the strategic account management association conferences he is also the author of four books value mindset which is the latest one dollarization differentiation uh, differentiation value the pricing journey and pricing and human capital and he's co-edited three additional books innovation in pricing the roi of pricing and pricing and the salesforce
3: welcome to the soul of enterprise stefan Liazou. well thanks very much i uh, you know i, I- It's an honor to be with you guys. Well, first,
1: Stefan, tell us a little bit more about your background, something that obviously wasn't in the bio there. And what led you to
3: become a pricing expert in the first place? Well, you know, it's interesting because it comes back to 1998. Imagine that. 1998, I was a 30-year-old executive working for Owens Corning in Europe. And we were deploying SAP across all Europe. And in our deployment, we had a pricing module, and no one wanted to touch the pricing module. So I'm like, hey, whatever, I'll take it. You know, I'll, I'll do it. And in six months, I became enemy number one of the entire Salesforce in Europe. And, you know, and this is where I realized that uh, pricing is very emotional. You're touching lots of different aspects of psychology and behaviors. And, you know, and we made some very tough decision and simplification in our pricing strategies for about uh, 18 months. But literally, I was enemy number one when I left, you know, because I had restructured the discount of all the German uh, salespeople. I had, you know, uh, prevented the Italians to pay cash, you know, (laughs) and I fell into pricing. And from there, I I, I got an interest for pricing and, you know, I really tried to understand why is it so emotional. Well, oh, you know, this is where I am today. Uh, many books, you know, uh, after that, you know, and lots of papers and a PhD on it. You know, I uh, realized that there is so much to study on, on value and pricing management. And uh, you know, this is where I, I became my uh, my niche, I would say.
1: And I and I guess one of the things that you learned first and foremost is that salespeople make lousy pricers.
3: Well, you, you know, if you don't give them the tools, if you're you know not equipping them with you know, value messages, statement of differentiation, you know, uh, that they really believe in, then, yeah, you know, the last thing they're going to do is, you know, is discount because they're not equipped. I I truly believe that the salespeople don't get up in the morning with an intense desire to discount. You know, if you give them the right incentives, if you give them the right tools, if you give them the the right mindset, then they'll do a good job because that's what they do. They, They like to sell, you know. But if you don't do anything for them, they're going to discount.
1: Yep. So. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I uh, one of the I, I was looking at some of your online videos, which are great by the way, and we will post a link up to uh, the, the, the best I think would be to your, the list of your top 10 videos that you've posted on your personal YouTube channel, which are which are just fantastic. But one of the things that struck me because my background is is consulting. I, I came to pricing from a, from a technical consulting standpoint and one of the, the mantras of consulting uh, to do it well is to replace, advice with curiosity. And one of the things that you mention is that you think that that curiosity is one of the most important characteristics of people who value sell. And I I wonder if you wouldn't mind unpacking that a little bit. Why is is curiosity such an important characteristic of people
3: who value sell? Yeah, generally speaking, uh, there's a lot of, you know, and this is what I call the pricing people, the value sellers, the pricing people, the value champions. I call them superheroes because you have to have this combination of traits that are unique. And one of them is curiosity. You've got to find the information in one way or the other. You know, you can't wait for a marketing person or someone to send you an email and say, this is all you need to know about this account. You've got to go and find it yourself. And sometimes you're going to have to use magic. You know, you're going to have to use different ways of going around some of the bottlenecks, and, and you got to be curious in finding that information one way or the other. So this is why I, you know, it's a constant search for something new about your account, nuggets of value, things that are going to you know, create sparks in the eyes of the customers that they're not going to expect. If you come with a plain vanilla story day in, day out, you know, the, the buyer or the customer is going to tell you, why are you visiting me today? But if you come up with some kind of a unique analysis, something that you did on your own without being asked, and you show them, hey, you know what? If you did this and that and that, because I studied these, you know, different companies in different industry, you may want to do this and that and that. So then you're creating a spark in the customer mind, and you know, it, it may work for you. See what I mean? So curiosity is not only in, in, in learning a lot, it is finding new ways of getting information, connecting information in different ways, you know, asking for, you know your experts, your networks with different sources of, you know, information. So it never stops, really.
1: Yeah, I just think it's it's such a neat idea to think that the characteristic of a salesperson or people who again people who value sell. I don't know how we we want to parse the difference between a quote salesperson and people who value sell, but is this notion of curiosity because that's not something that businesses normally look for in hiring the sales force. You know, like tell t- you know, and uh, the interview question would be something like, "Tell me about a time when you were curious, right?" to 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 try to learn if this person has this 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 trait in order to be able to do this properly
3: yeah but I, I I personally look at uh, you know, so I, I conducted st- a study for a strategic account management Association, and i you know we looked at the value value management capabilities in strategic account managers. and what are the personality traits that would you know really uh, enables the uh, Sams, the strategic account managers to 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 embrace the tools of value management. And emotional intelligence is in there. Emotional intelligence is, you know, Willingness to grow, willingness to uh, to to find new things, experiment, you know, taking risks—all these things is about growing your mindset and and curiosity. I think is is way in in, in this area. You know, what are you going to do differently uh, to wow your account, and, and then link it to value management, which is creation, capture, and uh, creation, quantification, and capture. So I found a direct relationship between emotional intelligence, social intelligence and the adoption of value quantification you know methods and and then the link to profit so that was you know i haven't published it yet because i have so much in my you know in my pipeline to uh, to write about uh, but this one is coming um, and it's going to be interesting
1: yeah no it certainly sounds it um another distinction that you make and i think this is an important one i had not heard this before uh, looking into your work is you make a different a distinction between value based selling and negotiating on around value and please, please uh, explain that because I think that's such an it's an, such an important thing that I had not thought about before. What's the difference <laughs> between value-based selling and negotiating around value? Well,
3: so value-based selling, in my in my definition, and, and you know, there is multiple definitions uh, sure. out there. Sure. It, it's ongoing. It's relationship-based. It never stops. It's continuous. It's it's about projecting value day in day out. And that includes as well researching and and connecting, associating, and and networking. So it never ends. It's future oriented. It's long term oriented. It's relationship based, network enabled. Uh, negotiation for value, in essence, is more transactionally based. It's more punctual. You know, you have a an opportunity that you're negotiating around, and obviously you're going to exchange price and value, right? And it's it it that's where you probably will bring the uh, the, the art and science of negotiation with your bargaining zone and all these good stuff, uh, upper limit, upper, lower limit. but And then you, you're going to exchange your price menu and your value, you know, um, drivers uh, to get to a final price. Much more punctual, much more transactional, uh, and, and then it ends at some point, right? So you negotiate a contract for three years, then you're going to have the contract. Where value selling is, you look at your account holistically and you're going to you know, manage value for the entire account nonstop, continuously.
1: Sure. Good stuff. All right. Well, wow. We're already up against our first commercial break. want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can look at show notes as well as listen to previous shows that we have had, all 203 of them. Of course, if you wanted to listen to commercial th- free, there's now the new place to go, which would be com slash patron p-a-t-r-o-n and that will take you to the patreon site where you can subscribe to our show commercial free but right now a word from our sponsor leading results become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. of enterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to the Soul of Enterprise.
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're honored to be here with Stefan Leozu And Stefan, I wanted to ask you a question. This is more philosophical, but do you believe Pricing is now a profession.
3: Wow, Brown, you're going deep. I think uh, it's a uh, still, believe it or not, still an emerging profession. And, um, and I've written in, in, about this, you know, not a, out of frustration, but out of trying to get the discipline, the profession moving in the next duration, you know, direction. Uh, and you look at how pricing is today versus the supply chain function and discipline. We're way behind. And, and there's multiple reasons for that. And one of them being, you know, there's not a, enough academic research around pricing. You have a few thought leaders doing research, um, publishing here and there, but only a small fraction of all the uh, marketing papers are dealing with pricing. First is supply chain, which is humongously published. The second thing is, I uh, think the, uh, and pretty much the pricing profession has been taken um, uh, has been controlled by consultants and we're not organizing enough, you know, as a profession uh, around maybe pricing society, for example, or around, you know, uh, uh, some type of a, an association to, to really uh, disseminate and diffuse the knowledge of pricing outside of the pricing sphere. And, and, and a lot of that is due to the nature of the pricing function. You know, uh, if you look at pricing society, a uh, professional pricing society, lots of people go in and out of pricing. They don't stay long in a pricing career. So you go to the uh, Pricing Society conferences, for example, 50% of the attendees are new to pricing every year, which means there is a rotation, right? So it's difficult to create a a long-lasting, I would say, discipline where a lot of people go in and out, and then you don't have enough research, and then the consultants are pretty much not collaborating. They're all doing their own things in silos and not advancing the field. And this is really why I got involved in pricing so much to become, you know, a a humble thought leader and publishing so much um, to be able to move um, the field of pricing in a direction, you know, around psychology of pricing, around the organizational and behavioral side of pricing, a little bit less of the technical side, if you wish.
2: Right. You know, that's an excellent point about the academic uh, research that's needed, and and you know, I, I I think I read in Innovation and Pricing the book that you edited with Andreas uh, Hinterhuber uh, that only nine percent of business schools offer a course with a significant emphasis on pricing, and that's really low. So you're right, there is a dearth of academic research.
3: Yeah, I I, I even the courses that you know nine percent probably is. Uh, <laughs> This study was done a little bit uh, a long time ago and probably it's less now um, because a lot of the uh, courses have been uh, morphed into analytics courses, mm. uh, business intelligence, data analytics. And you look at right now, this is a very booming topic. So we have to cancel something and, you know, out of uh, the curriculum and typically they'll cancel you know, the pricing classes uh, or they'll merge them. So, um, and, and I, you know, obviously I do a lot of teaching in universities and a lot of lecturing and, and some of the classes all disappear altogether. So, um, you know, I, I think the 9% is generous. Um, there are still some schools that are leading the way uh, with pricing centers and, uh, um, and you, know, you, know, you know, University of Rochester with a uh, Simon School of uh, Pricing. And, and I think that's great, but not enough for sure, not enough.
2: Right. Right. And I totally agree. I mean, I, I just, you know, being involved with PPS as you are professional pricing society. And I think I started there, I don't know, 12 years, 13 years ago. And it's just great to see that organization has grown so much, but, but like you said, there is a lot of in and out movement, but why do you think it is still the case that according to research from PPS, that fewer than 5% of the fortune 500 companies have full time, functions dedicated exclusively to pricing why is that
3: well i, I will tell you it's probably more than five uh, percent uh this study was done in 2010 and 11 um and i you know i bathe every day in pricing and i see probably in the dow 50 industrials and in the top you know 14 500 we're probably closer to 10 15 percent i make that intu- intuitive guess i would say um And the reason is, you know, clearly, again, because as a profession, we have not done an excellent job at promoting our ROI. This is why we published, Andreas and I, the edited the ROI of pricing. We are not innovating enough in pricing because, you know, there's not enough PhDs, R&D done in pricing. Uh, You know, there's a little bit, but not that much. Um, And because if you look at, you know, Harvard Business Review and MIT Sloan and all these top practitioner journals, they publish pricing papers once in a while. So we have not reached yet all the CEOs and all these, you know, high level business leaders that will make the decision on investing into pricing transformation, pricing systems and all that stuff. So um it's 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 really tough to get in you know in the publication. And we did get a paper in 2012 and a couple of papers in business horizons. So at the end, we're not in the agenda uh, of the strategic planning process. Uh, you know, and you look at innovation, you look at supply chain, you look at data analytics right now, and it's, it's everywhere. And pricing is not there yet. Unfortunately, you know, although we are probably the most, um, I would say, generous in terms of payback when it's done well, still, it's a struggle. We have to justify the ROI. ROI is very CEO-dependent. And it's 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 a puzzle to me. Uh, I, I'll be frank with you. That's what I research. I keep researching the field because it it doesn't make sense, really.
2: Right. Where you do see the pricing come in, in even in some of these ten or fifteen percent of the Fortune 500s and other size entities, how important is the CEO and C suite support to the pricing function?
3: Well, it's critical, and uh, I you know this came out strong uh, in my uh, PhD uh, research. Where uh, you know I came up with uh, the five C models of transformation, and one of the C's is champions, and you do need a champion at the top. Typically, the best situation is a CFO, CEO, CMO, um, you know, really championing the transformation and, and making sure the investments are in place, the teams are in place, the right organizational design is in place, so that the organization can you know go through a three to five year journey. Um, and 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 so there is a difference between the CEO being involved and the CEO championing the process whole different level of uh, you know involvement supporting you know attention and, and and it's essential and I see it today in Talis you know in Talis today you know we have the attention of the CEO the COO my uh, superior is SVP chief marketing officer driving pricing power and you could see uh, what we have done in two years. It's phenomenal. And we've done in two years what other companies may do in five years because of you know, not being able to get to the C-suite.
2: Right, right. I, I know that you have the title of C- CVO, Chief Value Officer. Tell me what, how you define that role. What, do you, what does that CBO mean to you?
3: Yeah, well, the CVO, I mean, you, you're the expert in, in the CVO because, you know, you've been dealing with this you know, and talking about it for a while, but in, in the paper we co-wrote, I think highlight a couple of choices in there. You could be a functional CVO or you could be a, a direct report CVO where marketing and innovation and pricing would report into you. And the way I am today in Thales, I, I I have no direct report, which, you know, we have these in these functions, uh, and I'm more of a, um, a general, you know, coordinator and enabler and I would say agitator, uh, <laughs> energizer, you know, to make sure that all the functions in go-to-market from innovation, to marketing, to pricing, to selling, to bidding, uh, to account managing, all of them pay attention to customer value. So, and and, and value... You know, obviously, is for us because of where we started. Is 80% of my work is value. 20% is pricing. This is why I'm not a CPO, a chief pricing officer. I'm more of a CVO because we have a lot of work to do in value. Okay, so you look at uh, so you look at all these functions and you look at the value management process, value creation, value quantification, and value capture. So my role is to manage the process of value. You know, these three steps across all the functions. So when innovation develops the next dream products, I want to make sure that value is at the heart of the development. We have willingness to pay. We have value drivers. We understand the wow differentiators, and we can quantify them. When marketing does uh, marketing planning or uh, marketing communications, I want to make sure that we highlight our differentiators and we market our difference. And then obviously pricing, and then the sellers have to sell on value. So, uh, you know, it, it's, my role is everywhere in the go-to-market functions of Talis, uh, and I do this by diffusing, energizing, being an evangelist internally, do a lot of workshops, and lots of training on customer value, as well as pricing.
2: Ideally, who do you think the CBO or even the CPO should report to, ideally,
3: Well, it's going to depend on your uh, industry. So, for example, airline industry, they have CROs and CPOs trading the C-suites, hospitality airlines, some B2C, you know, have a chief pricing officer in more B2B industrial. Typically, it will report to uh, the chief commercial officer or the chief marketing officer. Um, My answer, my typical answer to this question is it depends. It depends on your industry, it depends on your level of maturity, it depends where you are in the journey of transformation, you know, and really you want pricing and value to report to the center of power. If the organization is run by sales, you want to report to sales. If the organization is managed like a financial organization, then you want to report to finance because at least you will get the budget, you will get the attention, and you will get someone driving it. So... And, and again, you know, there's, there's no right or wrong, right? In, in my sense, uh, you could start a transformation with pricing reporting to the chief marketing officer. And eventually, when you get better at doing it and it's ingrained in the sales culture, then you could report as sales operations or to the chief commercial officer. So it, it's, it's not black or white.
2: But definitely a C-suite function.
3: Well, ideally, I would say uh, you know, uh, being in the C-suite would be great, but it's not going to happen in you know these big industrial groups, uh, because there's you know only a, a, a finite number of people that can get in the C-suite. But reporting to CMO or chief strategy officer or chief commercial officer is a great way to be recognized and to to have access to the C-suite indirectly.
2: Right. One of the things that Ed and I are kind of insistent on: we work a lot with professional firms, accountants, lawyers, things like that. Tech- Tech firms, the pricing needs to be strategic, not just tactical, not just what what price do we need to make this next sale or close this next you know proposal, but more a strategic vision about what pricing should be and does it fit in with our positioning and our brand and things like that. Well, Stefan, this has been great. And uh, I know ed has got a lot more questions for you as do I, but unfortunately we're up against our next break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, check out our full show notes at the soul of And as Ed said, you can go out to the slash patron and get our new service where you can listen to us commercial free. And now we want to hear from our sponsors.
4: future of online tv is
1: here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today
5: For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S.O.E.
4: Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
1: And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise with our guest, Stefan Liu who is the Chief Value Officer at TALIS. I just pronounced it with my American accent earlier. That would be Thales. You know, that's what I, what I think of it. But um, in addition to uh, being the CVO at TALIS he, and offering four books, he is also an adjunct professor and research fellow at Case Western Reserve University where he teaches and coaches uh emerging practice scholars. And Stefano, I was just wondering what what do you are are is do, do you see as the intersect um between your background in in academia and private industry? How do they complement each other?
3: Well you know I I um I did both. I did full time academia and I did full time industry and and I like both. You know, it's different worlds altogether. And then you know I uh, I want it to be. It's always good to have a foot in both worlds. I would say because there's so much published in academia, um, and so much that in practice, in in corporations, we don't read about. So I'm, you know, I I like to be in both worlds in a way because I can. I read a lot of things. I, uh, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of research from students. For example, I'm sitting on all the PhD committees of of students doing pricing. You know. Uh, PhDs right now, one of them is doing something in price war, another one is doing something on, you know, monetizing IoT, and so I have a sense, you know, I have access to all these knowledge, and I discover a lot of literature that I missed in my in my uh, PhD. Then I can bring that to Talis, and I say, hey guys, here's about half a dozen papers that were written on value management, value selling. Then I obviously translate that into normal English, I would say, <laughs> and French, <laughs> and then you know, create out of this, create, you know, unique programs, uh, include that in the training programs. And I disseminated a lot of knowledge nuggets to all, you know, community of about 400 uh, marketing folks. So, you know, I, I, and I go back and forth. Sometimes I'll go from practice and I'll go into theory and say, you know what, doesn't make sense. You know, that theory doesn't make sense because in practice this is what we do. Uh, I, and at the same time, I'm continuing to do research on my own. Um, you know, I'm running a lot of, a lot of research right now around pricing, digital pricing, you know, around IoT and predictive maintenance, all these things. Uh, so having, having a, a, a foot in both worlds is quite, quite amazing. Uh, and on one side, they, me, they see me as a professor. On the other side, they see me as the industry guy. You know? So uh, I, kind of a Dr. Jake Hill and Mr. Hyde there. <laughs> and then
1: also, same, same question, you do a lot of work with leadership development too. And the, uh, I'm curious as to the overlap there between your leadership work and your pricing work.
3: Well, you know, it's it's uh, at the end of the day, you know, everything we do in business is about leadership, right? So uh, it's about coaching, it's about developing a growth mindset, it's about, you know, we talked about curiosity and and getting... And, and I see it's uh, on a daily basis in Thales, uh, I coach and mentor these, you know, people who are very interested in pricing. They may be product line managers, they may be marketing managers, and they want to learn more. And I tell them, you know, it's all about learning, whether you learn about pricing, supply chain, innovation... You got to continue learning because, in essence, we're only using 10% of our brains, according to uh, you know scholars. So, and and it's 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 all about leadership development and progressing as a uh, as a human being, whether it's in the organization or outside of the organization.
1: And yeah, no, I, and I think that's true. I mean, and I guess that the, because pricing is still relatively new out there, with regard to it making it, as you said, with run to this to the C-suite and higher, that it. it requires leadership skills to to work at that level. Uh, the The other thing I want to talk to you a little bit about, and I've, I've I found this interesting, is another key success factor that you talk about is finding the right customers. and i and I, that is so true. I've talked to a lot of professionals over the years, and one of the biggest pushbacks that I often get, is I can't have the value conversation with people because they, they, don't, they, they refuse to have it. So what do I do now? Do I just move on from them? And, and I think the answer is better, better marketing. So what are your thoughts on the marketing aspects to try to attract those right customers, those customers that, that get value and, and want to have the conversation about value?
3: Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the most neglected aspects of marketing still today is customer segmentation. I mean, you go in, in a, a traditional B2B company and they'll do product segmentation, market segmentation, technology segmentation. But when you ask them, show me a behavioral segmentation, a customer needs-based segmentation, and and most likely it, it's not going to be done. And this is a fundamental issue because, as you know, it's one of the critical steps of value-based pricing because not every customer segment is going to want the same thing, Right. And some of them are not going to be willing to pay anything for your services and your products. So at the end of the day, if you do a one size fits all, if you treat every customer the same, you're upsetting some customers and you're delighting other customers by giving them too much and they're not paying for it. So by doing this intense customer needs uh, based segmentation, then you find, you attract the right customers, you delight the right customers And the right customers are the ones that are willing to pay for your differentiation, your services, whatever it is, the quality of your people, your lawyers, your accountant, your risk management. They'll pay for it, and they'll understand the relationship between value and price. And then what you do potentially is bias your resources toward these people, right? Because they're the one paying, you know, higher price, giving you the most profit. And I'm not saying move away from the price buyer or, you know, discontinue your relationship but you know you gotta tell them hey you don't you don't want to pay for this great go on the website and, and buy it on the website and we'll talk to you every two months instead of every week so and that is you know something again in change management in, in internally and I'm actually writing a paper now on Andreas and I are doing another book called Pricing Execution uh, an edited book I just wrote a paper on how do you execute your segmentation and this is where it takes courage for a company for leadership to say if we have 40% of value buyers, the ideal customers, then we're going to bias all our resources or most of our resources toward this 40%, and not towards these people. And generally speaking, companies, management, leadership, they lack the courage to do this. They want to treat everybody the same.
1: Yeah, it, it, one of our uh, colleagues at Verisage, Tim Williams, likes to say, "You can't, you can't be both Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and McDonald's at the same time."
3: Yeah. No, it, it's it's. It's in the no. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Really, doesn't make sense. But you know, it's uh, it's. I'm saying this like this. Obviously, humbly, it's it's very difficult to do this. You know, getting the segmentation right and and then uh, operationalizing it and getting everybody on board. Sales, marketing, innovation, tech support. You know, having custom. You know, customer segment-driven strategies—it's—it's it's not easy, and it's done very well in B2C world. In the B2C world, but again, we go back in the B2B world, and we have another tendency to do one-size-fits-all. And you know, I—I I, I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's a waste of resources when you send your glossy brochures to customers that don't want to see them. They put them in the trash. You know, don't send them brochures. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and
1: you know, it, it, and this is again where you're where you're having a foot in both worlds is so interesting to me because you, you also were, were the CEO of, of a company for a while and and were you at I don't know how that turned out How were you given the full authority from a price perspective there How did, how did that work out?
3: Well, when I was a CEO, it was uh, it was you know we designed with my team a transformational journey uh, for the company, and in three years we moved away from cost plus to value based pricing. And value-based strategies, we had strong pillars in the company: strong technology, strong differentiation, great people. So it was there was a, a good start, I would say. But and then we created a pricing team, you know, which was not in place. So uh, we had when I left, we had three people in the pricing team, and doing value-based pricing, and we deployed the software. Uh, and there is a case study in in in, in my pricing journey book uh, on how we did it. Um, but when you are this CEO and you're driving the transformation, I tell you things are going fast. Um, make the right decisions, uh, you know, it's like putting the pricing council in place, organizing for pricing, all that stuff happens fast because you're, you know, with your team, you're doing it. You don't have to convince anyone, you're just doing it.
1: Sure. Uh, one of the questions that I always ask are when we have a pricing expert on is this, because I'm r- real curious about this, is do you think pricing is more art or science and why?
3: Uh, my usual answer to this is 50-50. Uh, <laughs> ah,
1: come on, give me 50-51.
3: Uh, why. I, I would say, obviously, <laughs> it's going to be very industry-dependent, uh, industry, industry dependent and uh, but generally speaking, you know, you look at all the quantitative stuff out there, and most of the time, you'll be lucky if you have you can explain 50% of your variance in any statistical model. Which means, what happened to the rest of the 50%? You know, there's always going to be configuration scenario that uh, is not going to make sense. So, this is where, for me, I, I look at a you know optimization model. I look at what uh, comes out of computers and and software, and I'm like, okay, does that make sense? And if I put five salespeople around the table and I give them this outcome from the software or the algorithms, are we going to panic? Does that make sense in, you know, in their experience? So that's where you bring the art, which is much more intuition-based, experience-based, you know empirically, uh, you know these people have done that day in day out, so, and, and, and it's not coming out of the uh, the data, because remember, at the end of the day, your data may be wrong. you know so whatever comes out of your software is not gonna be right. So I I like to say 50-50 because you have to use data, you have to use systems and tools whenever you can. When you make that final decision though, this is where you combine the art and the science. And I never believe when someone says, you know, know, algorithms and AI based pricing, they're gonna give you all these answers and it's gonna be right 100% of the time, never happens. Never happened. And this is why sometimes you see big issues in pricing, decisions that are made, and it's a disaster. So, intuition and a good balance between intuition, art, and science is what I recommend.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was I was talking with a colleague earlier today about this very subject, this notion of AI, just in general. And um, you know, we were talking a little bit about it from a pricing perspective, but it was it was more from the fact that well, ha- didn't uh, did, didn't Watson come up with a recipe? And I said, well, yes, it did come up with a recipe, but there was someone who had to write code somewhere. That said, if cilantro is an important ingredient, based on you know being in sixty percent of all recipes, then use cilantro. There had to be an algorithm. There had to be a, a code, a coder that that decided how the decision would be made.
3: Yep, and you know I get into these discussions every day. You know, Talis is a we have twenty five thousand engineers. So as you can imagine, you know we we have a lot of uh, very analytical people. And and recently we were doing a segmentation project and I I believe in qualitative segmentation and these people, you know, wanted to take 50 accounts and do a principal component analysis, PCA. And it didn't work well, but I said, you know, look at the way you design this, the way you selected your criteria, the way you assemble, it's qualitative. You introduce your own bias here. Now, obviously you run a statistical analysis on it, but it's all based on these assumptions that you've taken up front. Why is not qualitative in there? You know, it is purely qualitative. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) mean, look at me and say, well, yeah, but, you know, oh, 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 yeah. So at the end of the day, you do both and you triangulate.
1: Yep. Yeah, one of our one of our guests, uh, P- Peter Block, has previously said he says all all measurements are actually judgments in disguise. Well, th- this is uh, this has been great, Stefan. I- I've really enjoyed our conversation. You're going to be finished up here with Ron, but we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website thesoulofenterprise.com, dot com, where you can listen to all previous shows. And our new commercial-free place to go is the slash patron, P-A-T-R-O-N. And that'll take you out to our site, where if you are so interested, you can purchase the show without commercials. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
5: there is no blueprint for running the perfect firm no way to know the challenges you'll face but your journey does not have to be an odyssey experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away experience office tools to learn more visit office
4: have you ever read a book that changed your life
2: Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Stefan Liazou, and he is the Chief Value Officer of the TALIS Group. I just love that title since that was, the, uh, that was the title of the chapter that we wrote together in the book Innovation and Pricing, Stefan. That's great uh, that you hold that title. But in that same book, Innovation and Pricing, you also have a chapter with Kelly Ecker on innovate, innovation in organizing the pricing function. And you lay out four possible designs of the pricing function. Centralized, decentralized, center supported, and center led. Can you go through those and tell us which one you prefer?
3: Sure. So um, today, um, I would say the trend is towards more decentralization. And you look at what's happening in GE and Siemens and Philips Healthcare. They moved, and even th- you know 3M, moving away from big centralized corporate groups. And it works well. It works well in more stable times. Where you know, but we're not in stable times. And currency wars and trade wars. You know, you need to move the pricing decisions into the regions, into the entity, and that's what we see right now. So. In the past, Decentralized was like, oh, my God, we can't let the division and the regions do their own stuff. We need to control from the center what they're doing. So it was a big discussion between centralized and decentralized, which happened you know, at the time between you know, when we talked about IT and accounting and, and finance. And Today, the game has changed for the past five years because of the amount of unpredictability in business and globalization that, that happened you have to move all the authority by, uh, back in the regions, in the entities, so where the pendulum is going towards decentralization. Now, the other two models, center-led and center-supported, are a mini version of uh, centralized. A center-led is a bigger central team leading for the divisions and bringing the divisions up to a, a, a set of goals and standards and practices, right? So there's a little bit of uh, more headcount. And you know we're moving from the center into the divisions. The center supported, which is a model we adopted in Talis today, is very skinny central team. Myself, you know, my team is three people. That's it. And we are diffusing knowledge. We are convincing all the our 25 divisions to jump on board with very strong messages from the top. Obviously. You know, as part of the marketing transformation, there is, you know, there is a pricing power strategic initiative. Most of the divisions know about it. They, you know, uh, half of them have adopted it, and you know, we, we're getting. You know, it's two years in the making, but the difference is we're supporting the willing and the eager divisions that want to do it. Okay, we're not forcing, quote unquote, from the center. Uh, so we're starting from the ground up. We're starting with the eager and the willing. Uh, individuals and and teams and and divisions. Eventually now, after two years, it's going to be a corporate mandate, but we're still going to keep the center supported, which is all the authority, all the teams are going to be embedded in the P&Ls. My team will be very skinny. And what I do is I certify, in what we do, I certify hundreds of people to be able to do the work in their division, in their regions. So we don't rely on the center team. Okay, so I coach, I train them, I certify them, I get them ready. And they operationalize their own, you know, pricing strategy, their own value management process in the divisions. And that's an essential difference. And right now it's working for us because we have a culture of decentralization. We have very strong divisions and it would not make sense, quote unquote, to force them on, you know, on our pricing transformation, value transformation from the center. It's not going to happen.
2: Right. You know, as you were explaining those uh, four types of organizations, it it led me to think that certainly in professional firms, especially some of the bigger ones, uh, it is going to have to be more of a center-supported or at least a center-led type structure because you have these autonomous partners and you know the partnership model in a professional firm is is a big barrier to some of the implementation of pricing but that's fascinating stuff um briefly stefan tell me about your book pricing and human capital because that's a big theme of this show Is you know the knowledge economy and human capital is 80 of the world's wealth so tell me what, what what's the premise of pricing and human capital
3: yeah so uh- just as, as an introduction, when Andreas and I do an edited version, uh, an edited book, it's typically because there is a big gap in the pricing profession. So ROI was for the one, you know, because we thought we didn't do a good job at calculating uh, our impact. And, and I, I wrote the, um, the pricing and human capital because I, I talked to a lot of HR people and I did a lot of transformation in companies and as a consultant. And HR was never invited at the table. But HR didn't really know what pricing people were all about. You know, what, what are they doing? Are we IT people? Are we accounting people? Are we mathematicians? And, and really, pricing folks are a unique breed of people. You know, back to the art and the science. We need to be able to do price elasticity analysis and run regressions on data sets. But at the same time, we need to be change agents, write great stories, excellent presentation, get the C-suite on board, and then get in the trenches with the sales guys So they're superheroes. And I'm like, well, I need to write a book. And in that book, I interviewed 12 VPs of pricing on how do they manage the function, how do they manage the skills, the competencies, the uh, career padding, because nothing existed for the HR people on the the pricing profession. So that book came came together and, you know, Rutledge uh, uh, put it together, published it. And, and it's really, in essence, uh, a book for pricing people and for HR people on how to manage careers, career path, you know, talent development, soft skills and hard skills with lots of examples from practitioners in it.
2: Oh, fantastic. And another question I have for you, because Ed and I have talked about this a few times on the show, is since the Great Recession you know, the 2008 meltdown in the housing sector and other places, uh, Corporate profits have done pretty well over a long-term trend. Stock market's done pretty well. But certainly corporate profits are even up over historical levels. Do you attribute any of that to the pricing skills that have entered so many different organizations?
3: Um, I would say yes. But I would also say that because we don't do an excellent job at tracking our impact, it'll be very difficult to tell you X comes from uh, pricing. Yes, you could see it. You could see Apple breaching a trillion dollar valuation yesterday. Then you look at the price of an iPhone last year and this year, it's about $200. So right. someone is making pricing decisions. And you know Apple has great pricing people. So you look at pricing power in organizations today, which is the ability to increase sales and margin and price at the same time. It's happening in a lot of industries with lots of companies. And all of them have pricing teams. Now, obviously, there's other things that are happening at the same time. Cost reduction, diversification, acquisition, synergies, and all that stuff. But I, I can guarantee you that there is a direct relationship with pricing, pricing power, and profit.
2: Right. It's usually attributed to those other things. Like you said, cost cutting. I hear you know efficiency gains. It's always... But I, I do believe a chunk of it's got to be pricing because it's just, you know, the incidence of price war seem to be down as well. When we see a price war now, it seems to be more short term and surgical rather than in the old days where it just ended up destroying value across entire industries.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I, I keep giving anecdotes when people ask me, well, what's the impact? And I say, well, look at Lego. Lego almost went bankrupt and now they're doing 35% yes. net profit. I know That's- the pricing director of Lego and these guys are on fire. They're unstoppable.
2: Right. So, Stefan, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, but this has just been fantastic. We hope you come back uh, for another appearance on the Soul of Enterprise. Really enjoyed this conversation. I know our listeners are going to love it. Thank you so much for coming you. on the show with us today. Ed, what's on store for next week? Ron, can't believe
1: it. We have John Stossel next week coming up.
2: John Stossel. All right. I will see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.